Hello, good evening and welcome to episode 21 of Chalk Talk here, live on Microbrew Radio. I hope you've all had a great week. I'm your host, Dave Goldsmith, and tonight on the show, joining us is Sean Storey. There's your applause, Sean. Good start, good start. How are you doing today? You okay? Very good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, excellent, yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Um, for anyone that was listening last week to Jared's and anyone that didn't get to listen, I really apologise again for the technical issue that we had and that it didn't come out on link. Um, we'll make sure we don't do that again in future. Again, hope you've all had a great week. And if you are listening tonight, please go through microbrewradio.com for any questions you may have for Sean. But we'll start off with the interview and we'll talk about how you first got into Paul originally, mate. So I think from being a young kid, we always had a table at home, just something outdoors on the floor or whatever. But I was always, um, I think the first memory of any Q sport was uh, watching the Masters final between McManus and Hendry. I think it was 94. So I'd have been like an eight-year-old kid just watching TV at home and I was just fascinated by it. Stayed up late to watch whatever the final was. I think it went 10-9. McManus won it. And um, yeah, kind of been a fan of Q sports ever since really so um you end up getting a table for christmas i think or something like that and playing with it on the floor playing with it in the garden and um yeah it turned into killer at the pub at kind of like 12 13 years old and then a bit of snooker then a bit of nine ball and back to eight ball yeah that's it so i mean you st- you, you mentioned earlier that you that you played snooker um at the age of 13 you know how was your standard like in in them kind of early teen years uh people always said i had potential um I've made my first century, I think, at like 14, 13, 14, something like that. So, and I hadn't been playing snooker that long then, maybe within the first six months. So people definitely thought I had potential, but um, never really fulfilled it. You know, made a few centuries, never really went in any big tournaments, just junior level stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a thing called, I think there's a pro now called Jamie O'Neill. I don't know if he's on or off the tour, but his parents used to run a thing called the Golden Waistcoat. So, okay. For the juniors so i used to go in that i went in a few of them but never really did anything wasn't up to the same sort of standard as you know you had judd trump mark allen people like that in yeah. them so um they were kind of dominating obviously and yeah there wasn't much room for someone that wasn't that kind of level because they were they were kind of pro level i mean judd judd was winning stuff at four to 12 12 to 14 he was winning kind of men's tournaments so yeah um, and I think similar for Mark Allen. So, you know, those those guys. There was another guy called Chris Norber. I think he did quite well, but never really made it as a pro. And Gary Wilson was on there, those sort of players, really. So Yeah, a lot of scary talent there, um, as mentioned. But, you know, did, did you, when you kind of then started playing ball, did you know that this would be something you'd be doing for a long time? or No, it was just a hobby. So I think I sort of stopped playing snooker. The only thing I used to play was like a handicapped tournament on a Sunday. In Chelmsford, um, the club's still there. I think Ali Carter took over that club for a while. Um, and yeah, so I used to go in that maybe once a week, but come 18, I just sort of thought I'll concentrate on the career and uh, give, gave up for a few years and kind of ended up going back to a bit of snooker. And then, um, you know, you just have to practice a lot. So nine, nine ball, I like the look of the Moscone Cup and got into that, um, yeah, I don't know, 2009, something like that. So went on the GB nine ball tour, but I never thought it was always just sort of a hobby, just something I've always kind of, I can't get away from it. So yeah. I obviously enjoy it. And, um, just, just something that has always kind of dragged me back in, but never, never kind of hit any sort of heights really until, you know, until sort of playing eight ball full time rather than mixing everything. So I think back, you know, 10 years ago, I used to try and play all three a little bit, uh, snooker nine ball and eight ball. So, 
it's hard. I find it very hard to mix. I don't know how you know Chris Melling's probably the best at mixing them. I don't know how he does it to be honest. To yeah. the sound that he can play to. We had that conversation, me and Chris, and it, and he said like, oh, he just he found it really easy that he could just step on any table and do all three. And I was I was as baffled as you are. Like I was just like, it's, it's you got to have some scary ability to be able to do that. Um, but no, as you mentioned, you played nine ball, you played eight ball. You've been to China three times. What were them kind of experiences like? Yeah, they were good. For the first time, um, I just like the look of Chinese 8-ball. You know, you see the, the little video on Facebook and it's sort of like, you know, some of the 8-ball players were playing out there. I think it might have been Jack Whelan or someone along those lines thinking, oh, you know, I've played him quite a bit and he's gone out there. I didn't even know there were tournaments in China. Um, and then John Rowe did a qualifier at his club in Peterborough because he, he used to have a couple of Chinese 8-ball joy tables. So mm-hmm. they kind of give you a spot. If you've got tables, they give you a spot to qualify for their Grand Masters, uh, which is the the comp Gareth Potts has won three times. Um, so he did qualify at his club there. I thought I'll enter that. And um, yeah, I won it. And there's, there's a few, obviously John was in it. I beat John, I beat Clint Hanson. Um, and I was kind of obviously not on the scene really then at all. Um, so that was, that was a nice thing to, and that paid for basically a free trip to China. Um, all I had to do was get a visa, basically, but I send you a letter to get the visa. And um, yeah, that was January 2018 or 19, one of those years. So I think I went basically the three years, you get a two-year visa. So I went three times on the same visa um, and haven't had one since, if you like. So I think it was like 18, 19 and 20, I went out there or, or similar. So um, every year. But the other the other two were to the the uh, star event. So they do a joy and star event. They kind of compete to give this big prize money, which is why... I think Zeng Yubo this year just won that seven hundred and thirty thousand yeah, dollars. Was it something yeah. like that? So it's a lot of money, isn't it? Prize money ever in Q Sports, yeah. That's it. Do you um do you think you'll go back at some point? Do you reckon you could you could get back into that kind of nine ball scene back over there or eight ball or do you think that's you're you're much preferred to stay over here with the ultimate? Well, I mean, at the minute, I don't, I don't like to mix, but yeah, Tom Tom Cousins, obviously my main practice partner. He's gone out there. They've, they're kind of doing a bit of a deal for certain players, I think, where uh, obviously they pay all your expenses and maybe even an appearance fee. Um, so on that kind of basis, like if if that was around a year or two ago before I was, you know, having a little one, then I would have definitely been going again. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the timing's not great for me. So you'd ne- never say never. But, I mean, if they're, they're talking about potentially making a tournament happen, which is like a million dollars, or, you know, when you've got that kind of crazy prize money, as long as it's not yeah. too top-heavy... It's kind of if you can get you've a got spot to, where someone's going to pay you to go out there, you've got to get there, haven't you? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's very hard to beat those top Chinese players there, you know, on that on those tables and you know with the pockets as tight as they are. But you'd still have to give it a go. And quite a few, I think, Jack's just won a tournament out there, hasn't he? Fifteen thousand dollars or something to the winner. So, I'm not sure if Chinese were allowed in that, but that was in Vietnam. In Vietnam, um, yeah. And there's quite a few players that have gone out there now to compete in the the next joy station um whatever that is so i've seen obviously gareth and chris and um i know tom's going out there wade wade morley shane thompson i think um someone else is out there as well and uh, just just gone out for that so yeah, there's a lot yeah of if i could here. have been there i would have been yeah that's fine i mean hopefully one day you know as you say if if something with such a prize pot of a million comes about it'd be great to see you out there competing for it definitely yeah, so you'd have to go if you could if you could make it work. You'd have to go and just give it a crack for sure. Um, but I've always kind of finished like the last thirty-two out there, which they kind of protect the international players. So until it till it's like the last thirty-two, you can only play another international player. You kind of avoid the the Chinese guys. Oh really? Um, until, I didn't know. Yeah, that. until that stage. That's the way they do it. Yeah. So 
if it's a mixed tournament, say I'm not sure on the one that Jack's just won, but anything anything else, they um like the Grand Masters is really tough for the Chinese to get in and much easier for the international players to get into. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all separated in the qualifiers. And so you've got kind of um, something like 500 to 1,000 Chinese players playing for 32 spots in the main event. And then likewise, international players, only probably 100 go out there to play for the other 32 spots. Yeah. So it's somewhere along those lines. And then even for the first round, I think they whittle, obviously you've got 32 Chinese, 32 internationals, they call them. They then rattle those down through a double limb to 16 of each where you still avoid them. So until the last 32, then they then they mix everyone up. All oh, right, okay. That's whatever way they want to do it, I suppose. That's, uh, yeah, we're just making though. it really fair. For, for, well, they're almost unfair on their own guys and yeah. very fair on the internationals. So there's a lot of value to go there. If, if that's still the setup, I don't know, but that's how it was when I was there. Okay, that's fair enough. Um You've had earlier career highlights, you know, such as you won a £250 a man competition. Um, you didn't lose a single match. You beat the likes of uh, Rob Warren, Simon Fitzsimmons, Jazz Graham in the final, just to name a few. Um, you know, you've been runner-up and won at tour events as well. How did these events shape you into the player that you are this to this day? Um, I think you realise that, that you you think you're better than you are maybe until you get into those situations and you mm. think obviously the hit rate for most players is pretty, pretty low for, for you know, tournament entries to tournament wins. So, um, although I've had a few successes, I think yeah, obviously I've entered a lot of tournaments and had a few, well, mostly where you, you kind of don't go that far. So it makes you, it makes you kind of try and build your all round game up and, and make yourself just very hard to beat. I think that's my, my biggest strength really is that I feel like I'm very hard to beat very rarely do I give up you know obviously we all have a breaking point and stuff but I've always worked on the mental side of the game um and I think tournaments have kind of done that because you think I want to win a tournament and obviously I've you know not that level not the highest level but I've been playing tournaments since I was young even if they're just handicap events you know you just kind of want to compete and do well and win so yeah it's sort of you just get battle hardened I think over time and you work on the things that that um, you know, you think have caused you to lose matches. So losses, I think, almost teach you more than wins. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of people say that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you know, great players obviously obviously win a lot of things, and they also have a, a strong confidence. You, I don't know if you can remember much about that five hundred pound a man competition, but what was your confidence like going into that? Did you believe that you could go on to win that? Uh, no, not really. I kind of entered. I, the reason I entered it is I saw, you know, I think a final was tagged on YouTube. That it was kind of the first tournament I'd seen like it where Craig Lakin played Sam Bertrand in a final. It was the predecessor to that. So Lee Kendall ran one big tournament from his club, but a £250 a man entry, amateurs only, and yeah, 5000 5, to the winner, 64 runners. So he did that as a like a standalone event to see how it went. And yeah, Craig, Craig Lakin won it. It was kind of double them to the quarterfinals, I think. And and I just remember watching the final thinking, why am I not playing in this, you know? And yeah. um, then they announced the tour. So I kind of messaged Lee straight away and said, you know, if you ever run anything like that again, let me know and I'll, I'll play just to give it a go, really. Um, and then he sort of said, yeah, we are thinking of doing a few bits next year, so we'll let you know. And yeah, a couple of months later, he messaged me and said, we've got this series. So um, yeah, if you and obviously put it public. And they were just going to do a 64-man, but over three events as well. So... The first one was the Bulldog Challenge, which which is the one I went to. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't go in there expecting to win. I just wanted to kind of see where my game was at, really, because, I mean, you had so many good players in there, like, you know, Ben Davis was in it. It was kind of supposed to be not top eight on the IPA or 
the EPA rankings at the time. Mm. And but there, I mean, obviously outside of that, there's so many good players. Um, I know Mark Boyle, Scott Gillespie were in them that year. Not necessarily that one event, but they went in the latter events. They kind of opened up with the success of the first one. Um, they then opened up to I think 96 runners for the next one or the next two. So that was even more prize money. Yeah, uh, ten thousand the winner. I think Rob Warren won one, and Greg Batten won one, which. That's how he got his nickname because I think the one Greg won was called the Players Amateur Championship, so he's ended up being the Pac Man off of that. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't expect anything. I went up there with Chris Day. I kind of, I wouldn't have, I maybe wouldn't have even entered without that. I kind of messaged, messaged him and said, "Let's fancy going up in this together." Um, you know, just so you've got someone to kind of it's a long weekend on your own, isn't it? So um, mm. just so you've got someone to go there with. Yeah, definitely. And he said, "Yeah, I'm up for that," and and we went up, and yeah, it was just kind of crazy, um, really. Just, uh, just seemed to. I had a really good mindset going into it, where I was thinking, um, if I if I was at the table, you know, I was just thinking positive thoughts, and if I'd missed or made a mistake, I didn't care, and I just kind of like had in my head that I hope my opponent clears up or does well, you know, and it's just sort of all positive, um, and then just ended up playing really well for most of it. I think the semis, semis and final, I kind of got a bit um, realised the winning line was close on, and it was kind of a bit. Yeah, you would do, yeah. Type of thing, but um, but managed to just hold on, and things went my way to to get the job done. But yeah, kind of that was my goal was to just win something big like that, and I would have been happy, type of thing. So that was that was kind of the goal, or obviously to be world champion. But um, but that's a, that's a totally different beast altogether. But yeah, I just wanted to win something big because I kind of hit the final of the GB nine. That was my previous best achievement, and I was nine five up against Daryl Peach. And uh, lost ten nine, <laughs> and, and I kind of I had one golden chance to win the match, and, and absolutely fluffed it. So you just kind of think, hopefully, you get back in that situation and kind of right right the wrong, learn from your mistakes, type of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great answer. Um, moving on to the you know the, the ultimate pool side of things, how did that come about for you to make that transition into being a, now an ultimate pro? Well, I was, I was lucky enough to get an invite from from Lee Kendall for the first tour. I mean, I, I don't know if you know the full story, but Mark Quirk, who's the main the money the money injector in there, he he's kind of sponsored me previously. We've known each other for probably twenty years. So um, he said, "I want to." I think he was watching an IPA game. This is the story. He was watching that, and they they're traveling around you know, when they had the IPA Premier League, and I think they were paying out in Bitcoin, and you kind of won like a hundred pound if you won a match or something like that. And okay. he said he heard about the prize money. He watched it and he just thought, Paul, he loves Paul. And he thought, Paul needs to be better than this. And he kind of messaged me and said, Look, I want to set something up. Can you, can you put me in touch with Lee Kendall? And I said, yeah, no, no problem. So I kind of just messaged him and said, Look, I've got someone who wants to kind of run some, this was after the Supreme series. So okay. that kind of first year, the Supreme series was unbelievable, wasn't it? When they had 51,000 mm. to the winner. Um, then they run the Supreme Series again next year, but thought they'd spread the prize money a bit more rather than holding it all back to the grand finals. So um, that didn't didn't work as well the second year. And then Lee, I think, was just going to stop stop doing events and just just keep it local, keep to his England stuff. And um, and yeah, then Mark mentioned that, and he said, "Oh, what a headache." He said, "Well, I'll meet meet him," and, and it all went from there basically. And then two or three months later, I got a phone call saying we're setting up these events called Ultimate Pool. Do you do you want to be a pro? Um, and then obviously straight away I just said yes, and and it's, it kind of went from there. But I was one of the first thirty-two, obviously, to to get invited on, and the tour's grown from there. Yeah, that's class. So yeah, it's a good a good startup story for the Ultimate Pool, of course. Um, in two thousand and twenty-one, uh, you had an Ultimate Pro Tour win and a runners-up, and in twenty twenty-two, 
you're a Pro Cup runner-up on BT Sport. That's some going, that is. You know, and I know it's obviously recent years, and I remember watching you while I was working from home at one point as well, um, when you you know you were completely firing. I think it was the back end of 2021. Um, you know, that's. I mean, it's, it's a statement of how of how good you're doing at the moment. I mean, I know again it started in 2021 with with that, but it is a statement of how well you're playing. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I've, I've sort of changed, gone through a lot of cues and changed techniques since then, but I did hit a very a real purple patch that uh, that um, those two events really, um, and both of them were kind of were weird because obviously we'd been in lockdown and when we got invited to play these tours, I was supposed to be away with my family for the for the one that I won, and I very nearly didn't enter that um, at all, and I just kind of said to my family, look, I kind of we were on holiday in the Cotswolds, so I was looking, thinking, well, that's two hours from Stoke. I can kind of try and do both, but the family holiday was obviously booked in before the um, before the tours even came about. And I said, "Look, the dates clash. I don't really know what to do." Last minute, I thought, "Well, I'll enter and I'll try and just do well in one of them and just kind of sack the other event off." Mm-hmm. And then it was just this weird weekend where they jumbled up all the schedules because it was all live on Free Sports then, and essentially you used to just play one event down to the final or something for, for the Friday and Saturday. And then event two kind of started on the Saturday afternoon. So they ran the separate events. So I just thought if I can do well in event one and event one was where the 10,000, the winner was, okay. I thought if I can do well there, I'll just not go in event yeah. two because essentially event one, it was prize money rankings as well. So you we thought, well, if you hit some prize money, you don't often cash in both anyway. And, and event one, you were kind of on 500 pounds for winning your first match. Whereas in event two, you had to win two matches that okay. the prize money was around behind. So I just thought, if I can do that, great. But then they went, no, 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 we've had a mess up with the schedule. Um, we can't get much TV time on the Friday and Saturday with free sports because they've clashed with another event. So we're going to run event two first. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. what a nightmare. <laughs> so I kind of had a flyer on event two and got to the semis and got beat by Shane, who I think went on to beat Mick in the final then. But then I'm thinking, and I had Shane again in the first round. And that was his, obviously. He had a, a, a massively great season. Um, he just won the back-to-back event three and four mm. and this was kind of event well six and five that way around so he's just beat me i kind of got caught out on the tv table a bit um i made a couple of mistakes with the pace of the table and you know he's obviously a machine so yeah. he, he beat me there and then played him on an outside table the next day and i just sort of said to my family that you know i think this is obviously on the the uh sunday or sat no saturday not saturday morning so that all happened on the friday up to the semis saturday morning i said look i'm probably gonna get beat again um push up and come back and obviously I beat saying um I drive an electric car so I parked at um at Tesco to charge up <laughs> and kind of I wasn't excited. I just thought you get three hours parking in Tesco and I just thought I'll fill the fill the car up and go home you know and uh kind of beat saying and then <laughs> I didn't even move the car I just, thought, I'll just take a fine because Tesco, <laughs> like, it was like a 15 minute walk away I just thought I haven't really got time to go back get the car I'll just take a fine and plus then the battery had time to completely fill right up, whereas three hours wouldn't have done that. So I'll I'll take the fine, play the next match and then kind of just kept, kept winning. Um, Buzzer beat Chris Melling. So I was either playing the winner of Buzzer or Chris Melling and uh, Buzzer's had a massive, a massive bit of form at six all to win the match seven six. He's kind of, the cue ball's going nowhere. He's he's messed messed his balls up and uh, he kind of can't get on the eight ball. And I don't, I don't even know what he's played, but he's basically just played a hit and hope. And the, and the white ball somehow come off the far knuckle of the middle pocket and left him absolutely plump straight on the oh, ball. There's kind of yellows all over the table. You think the line he was taking, you think he can't really land on it. And somehow he's caught the knuckle perfectly. 
and uh, landed absolutely fine. <laughs> so, um, so you know, if I'd played Chris, maybe who who knows? Obviously, Buzz is a great player, and he beat me on the tour. But um, but on that occasion, I, I beat him, and then from there, I think I had a perfect match against Rob Warren in the quarters. Of, of, that was that was on the Saturday night before I went home. So you know, if I was out, I thought that's fine. So it was kind of a free roll match. But yeah, I had seven. We had four breaks each. I, I broke in distal four and uh, broke uh, and this three of his breaks, and then he broke and dished the other one. So it was one of them where the match was just unbelievable. It was yeah. over in 20 minutes. Nice quick and, one, uh, yeah. No, no one missed the ball. It was just perfect pull, you know, every, every frame off the break. So, Yeah, them games are always good to watch. No, that's um, it's excellent stuff. You've previously been number two, currently number seven. What do you think it will take for you to get to the number one spot? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's, there's not really in sight at the minute with prize money rankings. You know, I think uh, Tom and Stevie and Chris Melling are quite a long way ahead of the pack now. Um, it's not the prize money rankings now, sorry, but, but you know, they're on kind of around the 40,000 points mark off the top of my head yeah. on the two-year rankings, and, uh, and it's 6,000 points for winning an event. I think I'm on somewhere around 18, something like that in seventh place. There's a big gap. So you yeah. kind of, even if I won the next four events... I probably still wouldn't be number one. So you're thinking, realistically, that is a long way off the way that, um, you know, Tom and Stevie and Chris have kind of just accumulated the ranking points. So for the rest of us, it's quite a long chase. Um, so, yeah, Mick was up there last year, but even he's had a really bad season points-wise. Um, I think he's only picked up 2,500 this year. So even though he's still fourth, by the time those points drop off at the end of the year, if he doesn't win a few, he's going to be right, right down as well. So... Yeah, I think I'm still like I finished last year tenth, and I think this year I'm I'm around tenth on the on the one year list. But obviously, there's a lot more players, isn't there? so there was only 48 last year. There's now 96, so or 90 odd with the ones that obviously there's a few snooker players who haven't taken up their places. But uh, yeah, number one's a long way off. It's not kind of it's just winning titles at the moment. You know, if I was a bit closer, that would be a realistic goal. But yeah, when you think if you've got to win four events in a row and hope. Tom Cousins and Stevie Dempsey and Chris Mellon all go out first round <laughs> for four events. You know, it's not a realistic target at the minute. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's probably like a two-year plan. You'd need to be super consistent winning events. Um, and I think the way the format is, you just need a bit of luck, you know, race to sevens, you know. Playing. I mean, look at the, I don't know if you know, the Players' Championships. So I was in a couple of weeks ago. You know, you do, have you been watching any of that, the Players' Championships? No, I haven't caught any, no. Right, so basically they have a group of six. This is a ranking event. Group of six players uh, over a Friday, sorry, over a Saturday, Sunday on one table, and one player goes through. But this is the format. So the first, the first day is obviously a round robin. Everyone plays everyone. The top four go through to day two, if you like. Um, but you start again. No, so I was like, I've lied to you. Harry. I watched some the other day. Um, I think I, I think I saw um, Connor Treacy in it and Harriet. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah, That's I saw it. some the other day. Yeah, plan last weekend. Yeah, yeah. So, but effectively, your, your points don't carry. So then you play, and these are half an hour matches, race to sixes. But obviously, most of them don't finish because you know it's a lot of eleven frames in thirty minutes. Even though the clock's stopping in between racks, that's tough. Uh, you know, you get a couple of safety frames, and and you know you get three two score lines in half an hour. So, anyway, you start again. So I won won the first five matches, finished top of the group. You start again, and I and I kind of. The next day, Hitton Patel has just gone off on a flyer, gone five and a up on me with 10 minutes left. I've, I managed to nick a draw out of it. I watched go, your go six red shooter. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So that, that, I went out on a six red shooter, but when you look at it, Hitton Patel won the group. 
his his average over eight eight matches you play effectively five on in group one and three in group two. He's won two, drawn three, lost three, and and he's won that. He's ended up beating me in a six shootout and won won the you know beat Dylan Leary in the final. I've won six, drawn one, lost one, and I'm out. And you think how is that's ultimate call for you? You know, it's like all about the drama. Whereas last year I went really deep in that players' championships, and um, you know, bear in mind I was in a group. My third group was like the group of death last year. I had um, for the first year it was me, Tom Cousins, Stevie Dempsey, Carl Sutton, uh, Liam White, and one <laughs> who was also a great player. I can't remember who it was, but oh, Callum Singleton. Oh, so yeah. I had that group. But the, the way they did it then, I finished top of that group as well, and then. But the way they did it that year was number one plays number four in a semi-final, which is a lot fairer. I think, you know, so I played, um, I played Stevie Dempsey in the semis because effectively I finished top and then Stevie, Callum Singleton and Carl Sutton all finished level on points. They had a three-way, six-way shootout for who plays who. Okay. And uh, yeah, I played, I played Stevie and I beat him in a six-way shootout and then Callum played Carl and I played Callum in the final and it was, it was an unbelievable match. I kind of nicked, it was best of two sets and I think I won uh, eight, seven, nine, eight or something like that. So, um, and the, both of the both of the finishes were kind of right at the buzzer to win the match, to win each set. So, but yeah, that was a much better format. Whereas this year, you kind of like do all your work on day one and then start again on day two and think you've got three matches race to six against people who've just you know obviously finished top four in the group. It was brutal. Yeah, you know, very brutal. Yeah. Thought, how how am I not in the final? You know, but um, but yeah, so it's very hard to pick up. I mean, Tom got knocked out by Phil in the final as well. So that you know, there's a lot of the format. You know, just just to come back to the rankings that like we were talking about. There's a lot of the format which just is so open to, you know, just you need a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. Even in a race to seven over 40, 50 minutes, like it is on tour. I mean, you're just thinking anyone could beat anyone. You can just literally <laughs> someone turns up and breaks well, and and you you get a bit unlucky, get kicked in off, or you dry break, and you know you can be out of there before you know it. So, yeah, yeah that's fair enough. Um... We're going to move on. We're going to we're going to talk about a couple of interesting facts that we that you've shared with myself that people people may or may not know. So um, I I certainly didn't. But uh, firstly, you've got a private pilot's license to fly planes in Florida. I've had a lot of interesting yeah. facts brought on this show to me from from a lot of players, um, but that's definitely up there, Sean. So you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I thought I wanted to do it as a career. I've always I've always liked flying back. I was born in the Philippines and we did a lot of traveling when we were younger, backwards and forwards. And um, I can remember from being a kid, you know, we used to, so where, where I was born in the Philippines wasn't on the main island where Manila is. It's kind of on a southern island. So we used to basically get two flights out there. So you'd stop in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or wherever on, on a connecting flight, then a flight to Manila. And then we'd get on this little, you know, uh, propeller plane over and my dad used to make a big deal out of it you know and go oh, we're going on he called it like the sunriser it was called the sunriser this plane okay and uh you know when people ask you when you're a kid what you want to be when you grow up and it was like either a football or a pilot basically so yeah. um you know that that was before i even knew about q sports really to say that that would have been when i was eight so this is like five six years old when people are asking you and it's amazing what sticks with you from when you're a kid so kind of always had that little uh, burning desire to, to give it a go and yeah just took a month off work and and um, you can learn to fly in England obviously but the weather's really unreliable and when I was working I was in the motor trade um, doing car sales and stuff so you'd find that you only got you basically work five and a half days a week so I got every 
every uh, Wednesday off or whatever, and then every other Sunday. So you don't want to spend your day sat at an airfield hoping the weather's going to be all right or yeah, hoping the clouds true. are going to be high enough or hoping the wind's blowing the right way. Or So I just thought I'd do it in Florida. I'll do a month, just take a month off work. And uh, it was amazing, to be honest, one of the most amazing experiences going out there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, from literally from the weather, you could literally, as you're up there, you can see these tornadoes. You can't, <laughs> you're trying to play dodge with the clouds. You see thunderstorm over to your right, you know, but clear skies in front of you are, are that sort of, the weather there was crazy, but um, and even you know some they're they're at the point all the time there where they have to kind of be ready to just fly the planes away from a thunderstorm, you know. Just yeah, get, of course. There's a lot of students at the airfields building hours and stuff, and yeah, they'd just be like, "There's a storm coming, we've got to fly them all north," you know, fly them all a couple of hours away and park them up where they'd be safe away from the storm. Crazy out there, so I didn't quite fulfil enough hours, but I passed my test, so I think you have to do 45 flying hours, and. Um, you then you pass a test, but they basically look. You can take your test early because it was kind of the day before I, was, I had to go home. Mm. And uh, yeah, they they said basically just fly your other five hours off when you get when you get back. You know, someone will just take you for five hours and you've got your full license basically. So um, and it's kind of good good doing it that way because the flying's quite different over here. You know, here it's grass runways and yeah. little airfields out there. You, you know, I mean, when I was going back home, someone who was our building basically gave me a lift to Orlando Airport. You know, we just kind of flew up the coast. Stopped at a couple of airports that looked interesting, and then uh, literally you're flying in with the big jumbos, kind of. Um, but here, you obviously you can't land at any of the, you know, the uh, big yeah. big airports. You got no chance. So everything here is kind of grass runways out there. Obviously, flying's a much bigger thing. It's a bigger country. They they rely on it more. And you literally land at an airfield. There's a car waiting for you. You don't even have to pay for it. Oh, Take brilliant. it wherever you want. Go and have your day out, and then you drive back and fly home. You know, it's all really well set up, but. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting, even going out there, we, I flew Virgin and um, they went, oh, we've got a special guest on board. I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> went, yeah, Richard, Ban- Richard Branson's on. He and his wife are going to come down and give everyone a glass of champagne. And so On a Virgin plane? Was, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, yeah, they went some, some commemorative flight. Even the plane was all painted in this, you know, it was, um, it was a commemorative flight for Virgin, like the, whatever, whatever. It was a certain number anyway, and they'd had all the plane decorated and that. Uh, yeah, those two on there, we didn't know. Um, That's crazy. And then even on the way home, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And on the way home, I've kind of got to the airport to fly back, and I'd work the next day, and I've kind of like, I've gone to check in, and they've gone, um, right, yeah. So, so they've looked at my passport, looked at me, looked at my passport, looked at me, just gone off. I'm thinking, this is unusual. You know, I've done a lot of travelling. <laughs> this is weird. And what have I done? Because, like, going in, obviously, you have to get a student visa and all sorts because yeah, you're yeah. flying, so... It kind of been a weird trip anyway. Um, you know, go to London to get the visa. I'm only out there for a month anyway, but you still have to kind of go through the same process as if you were going there for three years as a student. So um, anyway, I thought, what's what's this now? You know, why is he why is he acting so strange? And he just went, yeah, um, we haven't got enough room on the flight, so you're kind of going to have to go into. I didn't even know this thing existed. Obviously, they oversell the seats, don't they? And they went, we don't think we're going to be able to get you on. I said, well, I've got work tomorrow. <laughs> I need to, I need to get back. And they went, well, come back and see us before the gate closes, and we'll, um, we'll let you know if there's a spare seat if someone doesn't turn up. And uh, anyway, I went back, looked at them. They just, they just put a sign on saying check-in closed. And I'm just thinking, what was going on here? And he just said, he just basically tried to make me sign a form that said. I'd voluntarily miss the flight and they'd give me a free ticket to fly anywhere that Virgin flies except Australia. And I'm thinking, I don't want that. And that, but right <laughs> below, the thing he's trying to get me to sign is involuntary 
didn't take the flight and you get 650 euros or something. So I was thinking, <laughs> I said, I, did, I didn't volunteer for this. <laughs> and he said, well, no, you did. You did. I said, I definitely did. And, and uh, after a bit of tuna throwing, they gave me the 650 euros, put me up in a hotel for the night and I got on a flight the next day. So that so was a result, really, because I think that was about what the flight cost. So. Oh, God. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, another interesting fact about yourself is that you handed your work notice in in 2017 um, due to the income that you've created through you know, the property trade. Um, you know, do you want to, do you want to delve into that a little bit? Yeah. But I mean, I, I bought my first house at 21. Um, I've been 20 actually, but I've, I've always kind of been interested in passive income and it was Paul, Paul was kind of the main driver. Cause like I said, I used to work five and a half days a week. You work every Saturday. So trying to get time off for any pool events or whatever, no chance, you know, mm. that I kind of could plan one tour per year. So I wanted to play, the April tour and the GB9, and they kind of said, no, you can't have 10 weekends off a year. We'll give you five. And you're thinking, well, I'm working. Am I living to work? Am I working to live kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just thought I've got to find a way to, to you know, be self-employed or get out of this. But, you know, the, the, the pay in the motor trade, if you're obviously it's commission-based, it's actually, it's pretty good. So it's hard to find a Monday to Friday job that kind of pays as well. So I, I ended up, you know, mortgaging a house, renting rooms out, buying another house with it, you know, to doing it that way. So I ended up with a few buy to lets. Um, and yeah, it eventually got to the point where the government changed the tax rules on it. So I, thought I was trying to build up maybe 10, 10 properties, something like that. And then I would have finished work, but then the government changed the tax rules in kind of 2016. They just said, you know, we're going to tax property based on turnover rather than profit. So yeah. I kind of sat there and thought it's going to cost me an extra thousand pound a month to come to work here. So yeah. I just thought, oh, it's a bit early, but I'll give it a go on my own, you know, and just try and try and live off the income and, and maybe get a side hustle or whatever. And yeah, I've kind of been going ever since the pool's done quite well. Um, and yeah, just, just managed to kind of keep rolling as I am really, which is quite nice. So yeah, I don't have to clock in and out of work, but just kind of keep going with the houses and a couple of other side incomes. Yeah, that's brilliant. Would you say then, I mean, would it be very easy then to say that that has helped you with your pool in terms of where you are now would you say you wouldn't be here now in where you are in pool if you were still working your you know your five and a half days a week um yeah obviously it's you you, you just can't mix it with, with the motor it's really tough you know you see a few people that, that are in it but you're doing well to to get as i say more than five weekends off a year so that really limits what you could even play in in the first place um but yeah and it allows me to practice you know tom me and Tom practice kind of when his kids are at school, nine till two, a couple of days a week, max, you know, quite often it's not at all. I haven't played him for about a month really, but, um, but yeah, over the year, we probably average a session a week, I guess. Um, but sometimes that's, that's two weeks. Sometimes it's none, sometimes it's one. So, um, before the, before the money match was with Ian's the most I've ever practiced to kind of put three weeks solid in. Um, and for the last week I was doing double sessions, you know, kind of playing Tom in the morning in Attleborough and, uh, then driving to Braintree when once they recrossed the table a week before and doing an evening session there as well, which, you know, I mean, that's like an hour and a half drive on its own as well, yeah. plus mm-hmm. an hour to get to Alba, an hour to get home from Braintree. So kind of doing four hours on the road and just playing for the rest of the day and going to sleep. So I did that the week before. Maybe that was too much. Maybe it wasn't. But, um, but yeah, uh, you can't do that when you've got a job. So, no. Yeah, that's fair. Um the other thing I'd, I'd like to mention and to give you a congratulations for is that you're due to be a father to your first child this October. Um, exciting times, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's been, it is really exciting, actually. So, um, 
yeah, who knows what's going to happen. But I've been a lot of the reason I'm played at all really this month is just doing the house up and getting it ready for a child and making the nursery. And we kind of still needed to do bits on the house, even though we've lived there eight years. I've been very lazy <laughs> with uh, getting it to where, where it needs to be. I still don't have room for a pool table, which is crazy. Um, I do have a pool table at home, but it's in a room where, you know, it's in a bay window for a start. You can't kind of get all the way around the table, but it's all right just to knock some balls about, you know. But we've got room for an extension or a man cave or whatever, and I still haven't done one. So um, meant to meant to be. I finally got a decent quote for an extension from from one of my sponsors actually. So I think he's meant to meant to start. We just need to get some planning permission, and then that'll be that'll kind of finish it off. But yeah, um, yeah, very exciting times to have a have a little one. But it's kind of a bit more limiting for the pool, isn't it? As I'd probably be going to China now if it wasn't for that. So. Um, we will see, but you know, I'm kind of if I'm interested in something, I, I go all in. So uh, yeah, it's all uh, all baby now, and the pools will maybe take a bit of a backseat for a while. And I've got to pick and choose what I go in a bit a bit more carefully. Yeah, that's it. I mean, life life gets in the way sometimes. Something that gets says quite a lot on this show, you know, in terms of players not playing as much as they want to. Things in life happen, um, but you know, having a child is is an incredible experience. It's it's amazing. Um, I said that almost as though I have the child myself. I didn't have the child, but you know what I mean. It's uh, it's incredible, and you'll you'll love it, mate. I'm sure. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think you you might be surprised. I think you'll still f- find a fair bit of time for Paul. Um, it's you know, I th- well, we'll see. The, the the women might disagree, but that's uh, that's coming from the men's side of things. Um, uh-huh. What would you say your greatest Paul achievement has been to date, Sean? It would be that, the ultimate pool title. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things come close, but yeah, I mean, as I say, because I was away with my family and, and they're not necessarily that involved in the pool, but but where it was on free sports and stuff, they were kind of, I was away, they were on holiday, you know, my missus, brother and his partner, my sister and her partner, um, you know, parents. So they ne- they've never really been that involved in it, but because it was all kind of set up how it was, they were watching on the TV and kind of doing the journey with me. They were getting in from the getting in from their walks or the pub, whatever they're doing in the Cotswolds and, and then watching it on the TV. So it wasn't just the win. Obviously that is the biggest win I've ever had anyway, but it was also the fact that, you know, I took the trophy home and, and I was straight to my, all my family, you know, we, we didn't spend loads and loads of time together. We did have a few holidays and stuff, but um, it, it was just surreal how that all kind of worked out as it did. And, you know, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good one. And kind of, we lost my mum last year. So, that was, oh, sorry to hear that, that was at least you got to see me win a, a decent title and stuff you know yeah um so yeah it kind of will always mean a lot that one yeah that's brilliant fair play fair play mate we're gonna go on to uh the bottle incident i think it had to be brought <laughs> up at some point as soon as i'd mentioned that i was having you on the show um you know i was inundated with people saying you've got to ask you've got to ask him i i don't know what they want me to ask you we all saw what happened um but you know what I suppose what was what were your thoughts as I, I mean I'd be just absolutely stunned if it happened while I was down on a shot especially a shot as such volume as your shot obviously um under the circumstances for anybody that that isn't aware that is listening in Sean was on a black was it was it 29 all first to 30 yeah for 100 180 grand biggest money match ever and uh, a bottle has flown across the room onto the table as as Sean's down on this black I mean what do you even what do you even think at that point? What even goes through your head? I could tell you what was going through my head because I basically I mean it was a strange last frame. So, you know, 
just to briefly overline the story of the match, I started terribly. It was really hot in there. I kind of went 5-2 down. And I'm thinking, this is a nightmare. I'd, I'd never beaten Ian Ali either. So I played him seven times across different tournaments and stuff. And he's all, even though it was kind of mostly very close, he'd always beat me uh, somehow. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't actually want to take the money game on anyway. Um, but uh, Terry Rogers has kind of looked after... I've played a couple of matches previous to that. And Terry Rogers had looked after... The part, and you know, without someone like him, you know, can't thank him enough really because it's it's a pretty pretty tough task to organise a game like that. But um, I just beat Gav Robinson and uh, John McDaddy, who's who's Ian Ali's main backer. Mm-hmm. He messaged me and said, "Come on, then, should we have a should we have another match?" I had played Ian in the money match four, and I had a seven one lead and lost twenty five twenty one. It was in the same club we ended up playing and, and all that type of thing. But much lower profile, I was five thousand a man rather than ninety thousand a man. Um, and yeah, so he said, should we get another game on with Ian? And I just sort of said, no, I'm going to wait and see what... I didn't say no, but I just said, I'll see what other offers come along. Um, but then John's messaged Terry directly and said, look, let's, let's get a game on with, with, uh, with Ian. And Terry's going, yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, great. Cheers, Terry. <laughs> cheers, cheers, mate. I probably didn't know I had a 0-7 and seven record at the time. But um, anyway... Um, so yeah, I started badly, five five two down, and I was just so hard. I was kind of trying to wear the sponsors logos and hadn't. Um, well, I had. I tried to, but basically the top that I wear up my pool in in hot conditions, it just makes you really sticky. It's that yeah. kind of material. I, I don't know why, but it's cool, a cooling material. But when you're hot, it just makes you feel like you're sweating. And uh, so. I just thought I'm better wearing a normal t-shirt underneath. So I've kind of wearing two t-shirts and it was fine. The club's got air conditioning. But as soon as um, the extra kind of four busloads of people came came with Ian, the aircon couldn't cope. <laughs> and so it became just like a storm. But I, I'm thinking, am I really? Because I, I didn't realise the aircon had kind of failed. Um, I thought, am I just get really nervous or something? So I kind of worked on being level and not getting involved in, the, in anything too much, just staying in the moment, you know. And I was just thinking, I'm making, I can't even think straight. You know, I was so hot, I couldn't think straight. What is it pressure or is it just because just I'm hot? Anyway, I took the, took yeah. the old my pool top off, so I was just in my normal t shirt. And over that whole first session, I did calm down. So I went 5 2 down, 9 7 down. And I think I nicked the next four in one visit, basically, to go 11 9 and kind of thought oh, that's unbelievable. And then we had a 20 minute break, break every 20 frames. And I, I managed to finally really cool down in that break, you know, um, and then come out firing, went 18 11 up. And then, yeah, Ian, Ian just did did what he does, really. I think he, he played unbelievable from 18-11 down. I didn't really do a lot wrong. Maybe three or four mistakes in that. And then suddenly I'm 29-28 behind, thinking, this is just crazy. Like, I can't, we're going to lose to him again, you know, like from, from this kind of lead. But I, I kind of wasn't thinking, oh, you, you met. I did make mistakes, but, like, you know, you're, we're all human. You yeah. can't think, can't expect to play perfect, especially under those conditions. I still think. You know, although neither of us played anywhere near our best in the whole match, we both had patches. Um, yeah, I just thought, I can't believe he's managed to come back here again. And luckily he broke dry at 29-28. It took out a, a decent finish. It was just to be quite cute with a cue ball to go 29 all. Then I've probably hit my breast break of the match. And uh, it's dry. So like, oh, the cue ball flushed down the middle. That sound, everything was perfect. But obviously sometimes you dry and you dry. And he's obviously got the first chance. And... At least they were kind of. There was a bit of work to do either way. He's gone yellows and and uh, in the end he's on, he's on his last yellow and some actually he's gone straight away before he's even. He's got. He's, he's decided he's going to hit it quite hard up the rail for anyone who hasn't seen it. And you know the, the yellow is quite near the middle pocket. He's like 
probably have a three-quarter ball on it. He's trying to punch out to the middle of the table for, for a guaranteed eight ball. I think he could have dropped it in and the pockets were playing a lot bigger slow, but he would have had a, a bit of a smellier eight ball, if you like, a bit more of an angle on it. Um, but it would have made the yellow a lot easier. So anyway, he's, he's straight away, as soon as he's kind of pied one down the rail previous to leave that shot, he's gone straight to his chair to kind of, you know, compose himself. It's a big shot. You know, you know, he knows the way he's going to play it, basically. He knows if it goes in, he's straight, he's straight on the black, so he's, he's won. Um, gone to compose himself, which is always a risky thing to do. <laughs> you know, anyway, the crowd's then, someone in the crowd's kind of obviously, they've been drinking eight hours, so someone on my, they've kind of split the crowd up between my side and his side. Someone from my side was, was waving their arms about. I, I don't even think they knew where they were, to be honest, but um, he's obviously, someone's moved them out of the way. He's had to get back off the, off the shot. Fair, fair enough. You know? I mean, this had happened on his side to him previously. You know, someone had fallen over in the middle of the match when he was down on the shot on right. his side. You know? So it's just one of those things. You've got to expect a bit of whatever with a money match. You know, his, his guys were giving me plenty of uh, grief when they could, you know, um, to make to make it a challenge. That's the whole point of a money match. That's isn't it, it? Yeah. going to be up against the crowd. Mm-hmm. So, um, although the, you know my crowd's probably a lot kinder than his crowd, you know they're just mine. Mine are just cheering me, whereas his are trying to cheer him and also you know try and get to me, which is fair. It's all part of it. Whatever I knew it was going to happen. Mm. Anyway, you know as he's back, as he's on the backswing, someone I didn't even notice at the time, but but someone you can hear on the stream has shouted out Ian. I mean, we don't even know where that's come from, but he's obviously claiming that that's made him miss the shot. Well, I mean he was very close to it. He hit it well, and it's just rattled and. You can imagine playing a shot quite hard up the rail. It's rattled and stayed there. So you can you can tell how close it was. It didn't yeah. think come away from the pocket. So so yeah, then I've kind of faced with these seven balls to clear up to, to win 180 grand, you know, or for your backers and stuff. So um so yeah, I've kind of just took him. I was out of position from the second shot and kind of chasing. I've had to thump one in the middle, which could have popped out. Um and then I've played one down the rail where I've got four balls left and I'm I could even play it where I could miss the pot and I'm leaving in the yellow, but I know I'm out if I get it. But I kind of played the bottle shot and, and dropped it in, so I was snookering on one of the yellow at least if, I'm, if I yeah. did happen to miss it. But that's then made the rest of the finish harder. Then I feel like three shots out, I can uh, I can play a shot and, and get perfect. And it's just not not reacted like I'd hoped. It's kind of, you know, maybe a tension in mind, but it, it didn't really bounce to Christian Knuckle Hope. So now I'm left with a really smelly position, two balls out where. I've got a player shot to like the green pocket on the snooker table, but but I'm the wrong angle, so I've got to load it up with like as much left hand side as you can put on it, mm-hmm. and kind of hit it at a pace where I'm probably going to be on the other rail because you know if you hit it too hard, yeah. especially on super fine, it's going to throw wide. I'm not going to get the side on it, and if I play it too soft, I'm not on the ball. So I've kind of it's like a horrible pace you have to play at, and I'm literally I'm hitting as far left on the cue ball as I can. Um, I've absolutely nailed it, but I've landed where, where you're kind of playing to land really tight on the other side cushion. You're kind of hoping it's either a bit short or a bit long, but it landed bolt tight on the rail. And obviously, my red's in the middle of the top cushion. His yellow's hanging over the pocket with our yellow. And you're just thinking, but of course, because of what's happened to Ian on his shot, his crowd will not will not shut. And I didn't care. I just thought, just let me play the shot. But the referee, as I'm down on the shot the first time, the referee's come right in my, you know, Fair enough. He's trying to silence the crowd, but I can see him like right next yeah. to me. <laughs> I've kind of had to get get up. I was going to hit the ball, whatever. I didn't care. I didn't care that his crowd was doing whatever. I kind of made a plan before I went in that I was just to ignore everything they did anyway, as best I could. Yeah. Um, you know, unless they were shouting out my backswing, I thought I've got to at least I could address it, but not get angry about it. You know, just like that was on my backswing. And so I had to say it once or twice, just like you know, that was on the backswing. And that was it. I didn't moan. I just said that's on my backswing, because um, that's the only thing you don't want. You know, that really can make you miss a ball. So, mm. 
Uh, a couple of times during the match, I've had to say that. A couple of times, I've just ignored it when they've done it. But, but otherwise, in the whole, they were, they were pretty fair. Um, but yeah, on this particular red, because of what's happened to Ian, they are just going bonkers, trying to really put me off and, you know, yeah. um, do whatever. I didn't care. But anyway, because the ref, uh, Brian Moss, has done what he's done, I've just thought, well, I'll recompose myself, come around. And they're, they're still making noise. He's still trying to come down. I'm just, well, just going to hit it. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm going to get, it's never a 10 out of 10 start. But I thought I'm just going to kill it as well as I can, pick the line. And if I put it, I know I'm going to be perfect on the eight ball. It's just, you know, it's just all about putting the ball. So I've kind of, yeah, put it that eight ball, give it the fist a little bit. But then I've I've kind of like slightly overhit it. So I've gone off like a couple of rolls further than dead straight. But still, you're still fine. But I've still kind of give it the fist ball in the flying in a minute. You still got to put this, you know. <laughs> and then as I'm stood there, I didn't quite get down in the shot. But as I've stood there, obviously, out comes the bottle. And it's kind of like the one thing I didn't expect to happen. Obviously, I don't, I don't think anyone did. But, um, yeah, I mean, it turns out, you know, from speaking to John McBear, after it's someone they don't really, you know, that that's not always there. Um, just probably had a drink and just thought, you know, whatever. It's obviously intentional, but, yeah. um, you know, it is what it is. It's kind of um, made the game even more memorable, hasn't it, as people say. So, it, it, uh, yeah. It won't be sure, forgotten, sure. Sean. It, it, I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of things in the last 13 years and I, I, I've never seen anything like that. It's... Um, and you know, and you were taking part in it, so I can't imagine how uh, how stunned you were. Yeah, I mean, I, I was fine with it. So I know the rule is to you know, if any any outside interference, the rule is you know, replace the balls and play the shots. So I thought, well, that's what's going to happen. And uh, but obviously they had to clear a lot of beer up, so it wasn't going to be a quick process no. and dry the table out and stuff. So those, you know, Brian Moss referee said, look, you're going to have to play the shot. We're going to reset the balls once we've once we dry the table. I thought, yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's what I'm expecting to happen, you know. Yeah. Whereas a few people thought that should be a concession, but I mean, Ian's not done it at the end of the day, has he? So, no, he's not. No. Um, why should he have to concede the match? So it was kind of left that they were just going to call it a draw type thing, or they were trying to get a replay of the whole frame. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't really add up in my eyes because no. you've had your shot at the yellow. If that goes in. You're more than happy to take the win. You're not going to moan that someone's supposedly shattered on his backswing, which, bear in mind, that's probably the first time that's happened in his match. There's not even any, you know, no one knows where that shout came from, but you can hear someone shout Ian as he as his back hit the ball. But no, no one knows who it was, whatever. Um, so they've had, you've had your go, fine. You take it if, if you won. If, if the ball goes in, you're not going to say, oh, uh, you know, let's just let's just uh, replay the claim because yeah, someone shouted. Yeah. So they've had one crack there. Then they've let me go thinking, obviously, there was three balls on the cushion when I came to the table at the end of the day. So, you know, there's no on, on or near a cushion. And they're different rails as well. So there was still like, although there was a pattern there, there was still work to do. It was still a missable finish. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like seven balls hanging over the pocket. Um, so, you know, they've let me go to the point of getting straight, you know, straight or just off straight on the eight ball. And then, you know, a bottle instance happened and then it's like replay the frame. And I'm thinking, well, it's never going to happen. That's no, never because no. at every point, if something doesn't happen the way it is, you've had your free go at the yellow. You've had your free go to see if I miss one, and you've got a yellow hanging over the pocket. You know um, where you're going to get out. Basically, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, um, waited to see if I miss one, and then <laughs> I bottle someone to everything. Hang on, this is a good time to, to have a rewrite. Well, it's, not, it's never going to happen, is it? No. So, um, so I was never going to agree to that. And then there was kind of like no, there was no real finish to the match. So then they kind of obviously. Um, left and, and it was all sorted out the next day so um, yeah it's kind of never got that after having such a big build up to match even though I was trying to not not get involved in the moment just because you know I'm all about trying to get peak performance and 
you can't get peak performance if you're getting too involved in what's going on. You've got to kind of do as much as you can treat it like a practice session in my eyes. So yeah. that's what I try to do. As much as you can easily say that, it's very hard to do. Um, you know, I think I got I got kind of the best I could out of myself given the preparation and everything and played about as well as I could have on the day. Uh, even though it wasn't my best, you know, it's just realistically that's kind of the best you could expect. Mm-hmm. For me at that time, I was happy with how I played. Um, I was probably quite lucky that Ian broke dry quite a bit or went enough quite a bit off the break, really. Um, but yeah, if he'd played anything like his normal self, he, he would have won that match. So um, he was he was probably more below par than I was. Um, and yeah, just never got that celebration at the end. Kind of everyone's just left quietly and yeah. he's kind of thinking, what do I, what do, I do here? Whereas <laughs> I can't have had time to have a drink with, any, with everyone, regardless of the result. You know, if I win or lose, I'm still going to stay, have a few beers and talk, thank everyone for coming on and watching. And, head home regardless so um yeah, yeah it was nice. a bit, a bit of a weird way to, for it to finish but mm. otherwise i mean yeah it, it's unbelievable to set that match up and you know for, for the backers to make that game happen at that kind of level um who knows if it will happen again you know it's yeah. just uh unbelievable yeah no there's it's brilliant to have your intake on it you know because everyone will be wondering um what your take was so it's uh it's good to hear it and obviously like i i didn't know somebody had had said something whilst Ian was on his shot, so it's nice. To, it's nice to hear everything about it, you know, um, from somebody that wasn't there, of course. Before we before we wrap up the show, the last thing I'm going to do with you, Sean, is I give all of my guests the chance to have their own five-a-side team. Um, you will be number one in this team, and then you get to pick four players, players that you've played with, um, which for yourself has probably been most of them. Um, you get to pick four players and give a reason as to why they're in your team. So I'll let you take the stage for a minute. Right. So any well, anyone I've played, I have to have played them. Do I have to kind of be in my area? What's the? Um, I mean, it's up to you. So, so you, I usually give them. I can say like y- you've played with them. Um, you know, because there's there's people that haven't played with sort of the top guys, but would still pick like your Gareth Potts and your Chris Mellon. And I'm kind of like, this has to be your own five side team. People you'd want in your team that you've played with before. Played played in a team with before kind of thing or yeah we'll go yeah we'll go before. we'll go with not not played in a match that like lives the other side of the country kind yeah of thing. D- yeah no people you've right yeah. locally local area all right um <laughs> Tom Tom obviously would be the first um probably take take Chippy if he'd come along because he's he's um Norwich Carl Sutton that sort of we, we're quite lucky we've got those sort of players in our area really yeah. um not that I play. Chippy or Carl you know, very often at all. Um, in fact, hardly ever practice with Carl, but um, Chippy I played a few times, and, and obviously it's mainly Tom. But I think if you're going to keep it local, we're kind of lucky in our area. Obviously, you've got Chris Day as well, um, so it's a kind of strong five-man team. That, yeah, that's pretty. If yeah. you're going to keep it local, um, within a, within an hour's drive of each other, anyway. Um, so yeah, we've all kind of practiced together over the years, and I think. I think it would be pretty solid against anyone that team. Yeah, I'd, I'd just, I'd probably just give you the frame, mate. I'd, I'd throw a bottle on the table or something. I just, I don't fancy it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's class. Listen, Sean, it's been excellent having you on the show. Um, we're about to wrap up now, but it's been great to hear your intake on things, and I really appreciate you coming on. And of course, obviously, good luck for everything coming up to the future. Um, you know, obviously, with your child on the way and everything. Um, for now, please stick around. Though I'm just going to wrap up the show, and then we'll have a little chat at the end. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Oh, good luck with the show and everything. Good to see it getting traction and uh, thanks for the invite. I appreciate that, Sean. Thank you very much. Um, Sean Story, everyone. Great to have him on the show. 
Um, so yeah, thank you for listening in, guys. A couple of shout outs just before we close out the show. Um, obviously to our sponsors, Potter's Club up in Swaddlingcote. Um, Dave, Phil and Nez, special shout out to you guys. There is a new website coming soon called Potter's Cues where the guys will be um, shifting their own cues and cases, towels, things like that. So please keep an eye out for when that comes along. It is also currently the school summer holidays. So if you've got nothing to do, you find yourself at a loose end, please make your way to Swaddling Coat, go to Potter's, take your parents or take your kids, have a great time. Um, Friendly, local club, lovely place. Um, And also to our new sponsors, Tawam, uh, great to have you involved guys thank you very much for joining this journey with us um, but for me Dave that is it I hope you have a great weekend I hope the weather picks up for you all um, from Sean if you'd like to have a little shout out to anyone say bye yeah just to my sponsors Carl Craig Customs uh, J&J Windows and Doors Simon Jones Limited or SL Jones Limited and um, Taum as well <laughs> so another brilliant Taum <laughs> and Metallic Elephant uk. so yeah those those are the main guys on my journey also at Albrus Snooker Centre for the table time legends I guess have uh, hosted a couple of money matches for me so yeah those guys are really helped me on my journey um, yeah brilliant class stuff have a good weekend guys this show is part of Microbrew Radio Burton on Trent's community radio station you can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com find our app on the iOS or Android stores or just say Alexa Play Micro Brew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks. <laughs>